0: All right, thanks Jason for everything but that little comment there. I'll be watching you. If you fall asleep, I'm going to come after you, man. All right, if you're joining us today, we are glad you're here in the building, in the parking lot, wherever you are, online, wherever these words go, may you be blessed by them through the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I heard that Darren did a good job last week uh, talking a little bit about uh, humility from Philippians chapter 2, I believe. I haven't listened to that yet, but I'll probably try to do that. That'd be great. Uh, We just got back from a trip to Tennessee for my oldest daughter's wedding. Can you believe I'm old enough to have a married daughter? One... I mean, Alicia really looks good for mother of a bride, i got to say. And uh, we had a great time. It was a joyous event in the Lord, and we couldn't be more thrilled about it. And I've got a new son-in-law. i got to figure out who this boy is a little bit more. So uh, we traveled, and uh, we've been trying to hang low a little bit because we saw a lot of friends and had a lot of exposure, I suppose, in airports and things, but we've lived this life. The best we can with the grace of our lord jesus christ and uh, everything we have is a gift from him so we are in our final lessons of acts of the spirit and if you recall we left off with paul and 275 other sailors uh, soldiers passengers and prisoners making it safely ashore without one person being lost It just defies all of the odds and uh, they get ashore and uh, since we have a little bit of leeway with uh, the slides here I thought I would show you a little bit on the map bear with us people in the car you can see uh, from south of the island of Crete where Paul recommends that they try to shelter don't go on there will be a great loss they didn't listen to Paul at that point So then they try to make it to Phoenix, they don't make it there, and they blow on. And they are two plus weeks lost at sea before they finally come to this little island of Malta. This map makes it seem larger than it really is. Uh, The journey was long, it was perilous, it was filled with terror. But they find this little island, Malta, which ironically... uh, the etymological name for the island means refuge this little refuge in the midst of a storm so of all the places Paul could have ended up he landed at the island called refuge so I was trying to figure out some of this would be interesting you read about all of these coincidences that seem to happen and this is the way that scripture works you know it's the way it works in our lives too I think that we have coincidences that come up. And this could have gone this way, but it goes this way. Yeah, maybe God was involved in that. I don't really know. And we don't give God the thanks and the praise that he deserves for his intervention in our lives. We are protected from so much, and we don't even realize it. And we don't even say thank you for it, uh, unless it comes to mind from time to time. So, the Mediterranean Sea covers 965,300 square miles. You get an idea of the size of that. The island of Malta is 18 miles long and 8 miles wide at its widest. So, 8 times 18 is the square mileage of that little island, compared to the Mediterranean, which is almost... A million and what are the odds that they would hit this little place. So I got out Google Maps and I was taking a look at that. The island of Malta is so so small that the pin from the pinpoint actually covers the whole thing up. <clears throat> now I may not understand fully things like storm patterns and ocean currents but hitting this tiny island instead of being blown further out to sea or out into open water Uh, It's a lot like being blindfolded and spun around and handed a dart and throwing that dart and hitting a bullseye. I just want us to appreciate that no matter how you do these calculations, I think that uh, this is kind of like finding a needle in a haystack kind of stuff going on. Because in 27 verse 44, of everything that could have happened at so many points along the way, So many circumstances that could have gone another direction. Not just for everyone, but for a few or for some. You think about 275 people together. 275 people, you can't get that group together without people like at least someone being sick or someone being hurt or someone, you know, in a bad way. But everyone reached land in safety They all make it where they're going. See, Paul had faith that he would arrive safely in Rome. And Paul had faith that everyone on board this ancient grain ship uh, would survive the storm that they were in. So a couple of weeks ago, we talk about how Paul's faith affected people around him to the extent that instead of ignoring him, like they did in the beginning, now they listen to him. They take his suggestions, this prisoner, they're listening. The irony of of professional soldiers and sailors listening to a prisoner because they've discovered this man is more than just a prisoner. Now they're trusting him. You see, the strongest personality in a room, the strongest character in any given situation is always going to be the man or woman who is most fully surrendered to the will of God. Who can contend with the Lord? And who is like Him? And those who stand closest to Him are going to be influential in ways that they can't even understand. And maybe it's, it's in a place of humility that they do this. The person who's most fully surrendered to the Lord. They change situations around him, around them, him or her. So I'm not saying that this person is going to be the flashiest person. I'm not saying that this person is going to be the most charismatic. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who we fully embrace our destiny in, in our Lord Jesus, we have a place to stand and security. Security in the storms that seems inconceivable to the people of this world, to the people in the culture around us, to our neighbors, even to some of us in this room. So even though he's a prisoner, Paul takes on a priestly role. He is a priest to these people. He is the holiness of God. He mitigates in some way the presence of God, faith in God. And it changes the situation around him to Roman soldiers, to Egyptian sailors, to passengers, to his fellow prisoners. And so we looked at some of the priestly role of Paul. When the sailors, they want to run from the responsibility and abandon ship, uh, they feel like it would be easier just to abandon those who are depending on them and run away from the mess of their circumstances. Things were that desperate. Paul in his priestly vo- uh, role is a voice calling people to live up to their commitments. He tells the soldiers, soldiers keep them from running away from the ship on the lifeboat. He, they are forced to keep their promise, keep their responsibility. Don't abandon those who are depending on you. We are invited into a similar priestly role. Paul in his priestly role breaks bread in thanksgiving to God in the middle of a storm. So that the people though on that board, that ship, they eat it. And it says they are encouraged. We too, as God's priests, we break bread and proclaim the goodness of Jesus in the dark of our stormy night. That's what we do in the Lord's Supper. I don't know about you, but the longer this pandemic goes on, the harder time I have getting that bread out, that first little layer. That I'd be glad to not have to eat that stuff anymore. I'm just saying... I mean, it's not really that bad. Yes, the word for manna in the desert is basically translated, what is it? And that's the way I feel about this stuff too. What is this? It defies categorization. (laughs) Okay, anyway, I digress. He breaks bread in the middle of the storm and it gives them comfort. That's what this remembrance is in a lot of ways. This sharing the storms of this world, we remember our Savior who in His storms, when the storms hit on the Sea of Galilee, He is so at peace with His uh, with his Lord, with His Father in Heaven that He sleeps through His storm. Out of fear, the soldiers remember when the they recognize that they can't keep control of the situation. They want to kill the prisoners because as a... As a as a soldier, as someone who's in charge of prisoners, your prisoners get away. If you can't account for a prisoner, your life is forfeit. But the centurion stops their madness because he sees something, some unique quality in Paul, specifically it says, that he realizes this is a precious life. This is a life that needs to be preserved. And so, He restrains the madness of the the men who are serving under him. In a world where life is cheap, when we're in a storm, whatever that storm of our own circumstances is, we're tempted to think that some lives are cheaper than others. As priests of Jesus, though, we get to proclaim the sanctity of life, that there are not disposable people, whatever the circumstances may be. And in the end, swimming or on planks or other pieces of floating debris, there are 276 people safely standing on the shore. God has safely delivered Paul and 275 others. And as priests of God, it is our duty to point people point people to the only wooden vessel, cap- only wooden vessel capable of faring people safely through the storms of this life. I believe that this ship, in some ways... The way Luke writes it, it's meant to be an analogy that makes us think of the cross of Jesus himself. When we cling to the cross, when we take up the cross, when we follow the life of Jesus and become a living sacrifice for him, in some special mystical way, we find the lifeboat. We find the only vessel capable of getting us to the destination that we all long for and all hope for. You see, the great invitation of Acts is to help us discover our own story in the story of God's people and discover those parts of us that are trying to move against the story of God. There are parts of us that, that help push the kingdom of God, that help do the work of God, but inside each of us too, there's a rebellious heart there's a self-serving will and the invitation this is the 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 way the holy spirit uses scripture to help us look at our own heart and our own life so that when we see things that are out of step and th- moving against the story of god and what god is trying to do to redeem this creation either our own selfishness our own brokenness our own sinfulness The invitation is always to repent. And repentance isn't the heavy, miserable thing we made it out to be. Repentance is a beautiful gift. What that means is you are realigning and you are getting on the path of the story of God and the story of God's people. And we have to do that again and again and again. And when we do that, we increasingly become priests of the living God. We become priests in the situations around us. So people have a hard time with this, though, because we feel like we've been called to let go of certain things in our behavior, in our our morality, in our ethics, in the things that we profess and believe. Do these things. Don't do these things. Let go of these things. And we try to do that, but we don't have the strength to accomplish that Along a lot of times because we don't have the vision of what we're being invited to take hold of. We don't just stop doing certain things so I can be a church member. We let go of certain things so we can take hold of something precious and important. So we can take hold of our high calling to make disciples, and to become the priests of God. And if you don't have a vision of what you're trying... Our sexual ethic, for example, it makes no sense unless there is a God in heaven who desires goodness to come out of those things, to who desires faithfulness. Maybe the call to become a certain kind of different kind of people It's so I can have a priestly role in this world. That we are called out from filth, from garbage, from brokenness in order that we can proclaim the deeds of the one who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is priestly work. That's why Peter calls us a royal priesthood. So, The story in Acts 28, though, it's not quite over. So let's read a couple more verses. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So I don't know how cold it was there in the Mediterranean Sea. You think maybe that time of year, 40, 50 degrees, but wet rain falling this would be kind of chill in your bones kind of weather and uh, one of the things I love about humanity about that uh, just seems to be hardwired in us and I think this is a result of being created in the image of God but one of the things I love about mo- uh, people is most people when they find someone and they come across in a, someone in a true tragedy they respond with unusual kindness. The islanders are moved to help in this situation when they recognize this is a tragedy. These people have barely survived this storm at sea. And so they're moved with compassion. Uh, In 2001, on the rural roads of Kenya, East Africa, Alicia and I were involved in a horrible car accident. The land cruiser that we were in kind of went off the road and it rolled the top crunched down. It was a miracle that we survived uh, the way we did. Almost all of the windows of the uh, vehicle were, were broken. They just shattered as we were rolling. And we rolled a couple times. And the rural villagers who witnessed our tragedy, keep in mind that these are people who live in mud huts with grass roofs who don't know if their children are going to have enough food for the next meal when they witnessed this tragedy of these of these rich missionaries here there in their presence these people who are dirt poor who have almost nothing i was i remember seeing them run up to us and they're just moved with compassion and they start picking up all of our stuff that had been strewn across the road for you know, however long that distance was. We had stuff that was just thrown out of the vehicle everywhere. They're picking up shoes, clothing, food, luggage. They're even picking up money that had been thrown out of the vehicle. And they come running up to the vehicle and they put those things back in the vehicle. And they were just saying, we're so sorry, we're so sorry for your tragedy and loss. And it wasn't until later when the police showed up that the thieves did as well, and the policeman pulled me away, and that's when they started. The, the next group of people who came in, they were the ones who, were, who stole the laptop and stole the boots and things like that. But that initial reaction of these people, its just something about the human heart, I think. That we recognize uh, that there's something in us when we see something truly tragic uh, that just moves us to show unusual kindness. How much so, how much more so, those who follow Jesus and take on the mantle of being a priest of the living God. So Paul, it says, gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself onto his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live." So the people of this island, they were probably Phoenician in origin. Most likely they're speaking a Punic language, uh, though some of them may have known a little bit of Greek. And when they witnessed this snake bite, although Paul has beaten the odds of surviving the shipwreck of being lost at sea, the islanders think he must be some kind of bad character. Because the goddess Justice is against him. How ironic to survive a shipwreck only to be killed by a poisonous snake bite. And I think about this story a lot in Acts because I remember a time in Tanzania when I was carrying firewood into the house that we were going to burn a fire. It was rainy outside and or cold outside, and uh, a small black mamba, one of the world's deadliest and most venomous snakes. Uh, they're called black mambas, mambas, incidentally, but not because they're kind of black, but because they're more gray in color, but because the inside their mouths is black. They're one of the fastest snake, and one of the fastest snakes, one of the most aggressive snakes in the world, one of the most venomous. And the young, juvenile ones, their ve- the toxicity, toxicity of their venom, is even stronger in the little ones. And I think it was, I had this firewood that i picked up but it had coiled itself up between the the bark and the heartwood and when i was carrying it in i felt something on my arm and i see what it is and it's slithering up up my arm and i it's just i don't even know how to describe that feeling and the reaction i had i just went like this and everything fell and uh it slithered off and I think uh, our night guard or someone went and got a shovel and killed it. But uh, I think about that story from Acts. What would that be like to, to have this happen? So anyway, these these uh, uh, people are speaking, uh, Phoenician islanders are speaking, and they're like, oh, he must have done something really bad to have something like that happen, happen to him. So... Uh, Our text goes on. It says, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he is a God. He was a God. Well, this is not the first time uh, that Paul has been mistaken for a God of some kind among pagan peoples. Um, He should have been dead, but rather he suffers no ill effects whatsoever. And as Luke is recording this, as he's writing this down, this story, he had to have been thinking about words that he had recorded earlier in his gospel, words that Jesus himself said. Jesus said this, I have given you to his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, chapter 10, verse 19 through 20. There was an estate nearby that belonged to uh, Publius, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. So this is an interesting text, uh, because this is the one time in Acts that we we read about prayer uh, being used in conjunction with the laying on of hands. Uh, that they're used together. And it's a little window into the method of how some of these healings took place, I believe. Um, but I don't want to make too much of that either. There's there's, an, there's and something, though, about prayer associated with the laying on of hands that is special and it's powerful. And I'm not saying I understand it all completely, but I felt the power of it at times in my life. And... Uh, But when it comes down to it, it's not the method that we need to worry about. And it's not having the right we're not we're not looking for special tools. We're not like Simon the Sorcerer. We're not like a witch with a special ritual that we have to find power that has special crystals to make something we're not dabbling in magic. For the true disciple of Jesus Christ, we know that the power doesn't come from the ritual, from saying magic words or having magic objects or things that are imbued with special property. In the end, power comes through relationship. Power comes through a living relationship with the creator of the whole universe. God working with us to do what we are incapable of doing ourselves. That's where the real power lies. Well, healing people, it tends to get attention very quickly. And so anyone who is sick on this island, they come a-running then. In verse uh, 9 of chapter 28, When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail... They furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So this is, this is again, another interesting thing happening. Uh, Paul, the prisoner, is still acting in priestly ways, isn't he? He's, he's got divine protection. That much is made obvious. The people all over the island are talking about it. In the beginning, it's the islanders who show unusual kindness. And in the end... It's they who receive the generosity of God. And all of their sick are cured. For three days, this official of the island, Publius, an an island uh, official, he entertains them, it says, hospitably. And before Paul leaves, this man, this island official, finds his father, who had been suffering, completely healed. It says something about the economy of the kingdom of God, the way the kingdom of God works, I believe. That when people bless the godly, oftentimes they end up receiving more than it is whatever it is that they gave. That's just the way it works with the people of God. We give, but what we receive in the end is so much greater than anything that we've put in, than all the things that we're keeping track of and measuring. Paul the prisoner does healing work as a priest among the islanders, who turn out to be so overjoyed. It says they honored us in many ways. and they gave them all the supplies that they need to continue the journey. And imagine the, this Centurion Julius and these soldiers who are watching all of these things play out and who they're scratching their heads. Who is this man? People are being healed. The people of the island are giving us everything we need to go on and continue with our journey. It's unlike any prisoner this man has ever had before, I'm sure of it. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods of Castor and Pollux. We put in a we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days and from there we set sail and arrived at Regium and the next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached uh, Pudioli I guess that's how you say that it's in Italy so Pudioli a spicy meatball Pudioli something like that I don't know ancient names So three months on this island would put this sometime in February of the year 60. And this would be the very earliest that uh, the winter storm season would have abated enough that they could maybe have a shot of getting uh, to other islands to attempt sea voyages again. So you can see they make their way up Sicily and then to the boot of Italy, and then they're on their way. And it says Paul stays with believers for seven days. So, uh, this is from Acts 28, verse 14. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Some commentators were like, how in the world would a Roman centurion allow Paul to just, hey, I've got some friends here, let's take a week and... This centurion, I guarantee, was not the same man, and he did not hold Paul in the same way he did as as he did at the beginning of this journey. He had seen too much, experienced too much. All right. So, we're getting to Rome. We've been been a long, winding road to get here, haven't we? Let me go on, verse 15. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, the brothers in the, in the city of Rome, the Roman Christians. And they traveled as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Why is this the time that Paul is encouraged? I'd like to ask you to think about that when is it that jesus's words reached their fullest expression and their greatest fulfillment in the heart of paul that's a question i think is worth looking at remember that that jesus had said to paul these words in chapter 23:11 the following night the lord stood near paul and said take courage As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Think about this. From the time Jesus said these words, more than two and a half years had passed. Two and a half plus years had passed. Maybe closer to three. I don't know exactly how to add this all up. From that time to the time that Paul speaks that Jesus speaks to him being greeted by the church in Rome. A long time has passed. What were you doing two and a half years ago? I can't remember myself even hardly. I, was, I Actually, I do. I was getting ready to come to this church and be your preacher. Two and a half years. So why is it this moment that Paul is encouraged? When is it that Jesus' words reach their fullest Expression and fulfillment in the heart of Paul think about everything that we've been through I'm not saying he wasn't encouraged at different points or thankful at different points but the one that Luke wants us to pay attention to that I think Luke writes this in such a way that we notice it it's not when he survives the plots of the Jews who take an oath to murder him that that the words of Jesus are fulfilled in the heart of Paul It's not when the Holy Spirit works powerfully to give him the words that he needs to challenge his enemies to stand before kings and governors and to put them on trial, so to speak. It's not when he was released from two-year prison sentence where they just try to lock him up and ignore him in Caesarea. It's not when an angel appears to Paul and tells him that the Lord is going to save everyone on that ship. It's not when he gives thanks and breaks bread for everyone in their darkest hour. It's not when all 276 people on the ship make it safely ashore. It's not when Paul survives a poisonous snake bite with no ill effects and no problems. It's not even... It's not when the Holy Spirit works in Paul's life to heal the sick people on the island. You think that he's working the power of God. That's, a he- that's heady stuff. But what is it that Paul feels encouraged by? It's not even when he physically arrives in a place in Rome where he's standing in the city. Paul is encouraged. Paul is encouraged, and he thanks God at the sight of the men, at these brothers and sisters from this church in Rome, when he sees them coming, when he recognizes who they are. See, the promise, the promise of God was proven to Paul in his heart. When he finds himself again among the people of God. It's when the church at Rome goes out looking for Paul. And Paul sees them coming in the distance and he figures out who it is who's looking for him and who's coming. And It's like the, Paul, uh, the cry of Paul's heart would be something like, Oh God, thank you. Lord, thank you. What you told me, Lord, is true. Jesus, your words are true when he sees the church come looking for him. When he sees the church coming to find him. I think I think Luke wants us to notice this here. So I came up with some P words to try to help us remember this because it's kind of a long list. I'm not going to remember all of this so I put it this way this is me trying to be funny stop rhyming now I mean it does anybody want a peanut that's about the level of rhyming I have more or less but let me call this the proof of the promise for Paul the proof of the promise of the words of Jesus in Paul's heart it didn't come with the protection of God surviving a shipwreck surviving a a snake bite it didn't come with the power of God being able to heal the sick, being able to speak to and have the perfect words to testify about Jesus Christ in front of uh, of governors, in front of kings, in in front of the religious elite, the Sanhedrin. The proof of the promise didn't come with the power of God. The proof of the promise didn't even come with the place, a physical location where Jesus said Paul would go. The proof of the promise came With the people. With the people of God. There. There's some peas. You know it's good to eat your peas, right? So the last few chapters of Acts, they're filled with this rich imagery. Uh, Paul the prisoner. and, And so much irony. Paul the prisoner who finds himself on trial before the religious, Roman governors, and royalty. But Paul is so sold out for Jesus, he's so let go of a narrative of self-preservation and taking a hold of what makes God look good, that in the end, it is these rulers who have to answer, who have to, what are you going to do with Jesus, this Jesus guy? That's the question that keeps coming up. And so the judges are judged. That's an irony. And then on this voyage to Rome, at first the soldiers and sailors, they ignore the words of a prisoner, rightly so. But by the end, they're listening to everything that Paul says. This is an irony of a prisoner who is really, really a priest. Oliver, this is important. Pay attention. Paul is a priest who guides them, who helps them keep their commitments from not abandoning ship, a priest who shares a message of deliverance from the mouths of an angel, a priest who breaks bread in their presence and gives thanks to God in their darkest night and encourages the people, a priest whose words are proven true when 276 people are delivered from this shipwreck in the sea, a priest who is protected from and immune to snake venom, a priest who brings healing to the sick of an entire island. And the final irony of our text today, I think, is this. This prisoner who is a priest was is a priest, he finds himself in need of priests too. And when the church in Rome comes searching for Paul, he sees them. His priests are coming to find him. Paul the priests sees the people of God who are priests to him. And it's in that moment that he knows that the promise of Jesus Christ, that the words of Jesus Christ are true. He sees the people of God come to receive him. So you've heard me say a lot of times and in a lot of different ways that we are going to rise or fall as a church. I mean, this, this year is another weaning process. Just There seems to be discouragement after discouragement after discouragement. These things that would challenge us, that would test us. People who, uh, you know, I don't want to be here for this, that, or reason. We don't know who's going to come back on the other side of this. I don't care about any of that. I care about how we love each other. How we show jesus to each other what i care about is how we become priests for one another it doesn't matter how small we are it doesn't matter that we have the best preacher or song leaders or the best worship or the most talented people or any of that it all boils down to this issue of discipleship how well we love one another Some of you have known the joy and the priestly role of a church or people in the church who come looking for you in your time of need. And some people have felt the pain of a church that has ignored you when you feel like you needed them the most. And let me just say about that one, We love to take on a victim mentality. Uh, For those who give to the church, who are the closest to the life of the church, they experience a level of love probably from us that someone on the fringes who barely shows up is not going to know or experience. We try to love everyone well, but we need to learn how to do that better. It's crucial that we become a church that goes looking for people each each of us individually and collectively as a group but for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and who have a heart of faith that trusts in the lord what you discover is there are priests of god everywhere and they're not confined to this building and they're not confined to our list of members priests of god are all over this world you are not alone in this People will be priests to you who don't even know that they're being a priest to you. And maybe they don't even know Jesus or recognize Jesus. But they still can minister to you in some way. So the point, I think, for us is this. Are you going to become a priest of the Lord? I think that this this text, you see how Paul transforms situations around him. The question for us is, is how am I influencing for God and for the good of Jesus Christ those networks around me in your home, in your friendships your neighborhood, your work environment the hours that you have in your retirement the hours that you have in your recreation how are you leveraging those things to be a priest of the living God So, the irony of our day, of course, is that we, too, live in a world, our culture is shouting at us that we are prisoners. They're telling us that we are slaves to traditions that are empty, to ethics that don't make sense, to beliefs that are nonsensical, We're prisoners to dusty old rituals. We are prisoners to lists and lists of impossible rules. You Christians are prisoners to your own legalism. You're prisoners to archaic sexual morals. Prisoners to your own intolerance. Prisoners to your own hypocrisy. You don't even know all the ways, Christian. You are a prisoner. Don't waste your time trying to convince the world that you're not a prisoner. Don't waste your time doing that. Instead, just go be a priest. Go be a priest in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the world will shut its mouth because it doesn't know what's happening and I think you'll discover the priests of God are always going to find priests ministered to them when they need it the Lord will provide the Lord will provide That, I think, is the call. One of the calls that is illustrated here for us. That when we read these stories, we think, how can I become that? And it might seem impossible. And there are ways, yeah, it's true, I've been living like a prisoner in the way I think and whatnot. Stop fretting about that. Stop trying to even worry about being perfect. Just go be a priest. And when you walk in freedom, freedom will result in situations around you. So that's our invitation. As always, this is a community, a place where you can put on the Lord in baptism, where you can um, give your life over to him, where you can ask for prayers of this church, where you can say a word of confession and uh, 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 start a process of repentance. And aligning your story again with the story of God, you have that opportunity every Sunday that we're here. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Not that we're perfect, not that we've been there for everyone at their, their moment of need, but we're trying to figure it out. And we're trying to learn how to do it. And this is a loving church, and we need to grow that love more and more. That's your invitation. Let's stand and sing together.